0: Father, we praise you and thank you so much for this day, and we give you praise and glory, Lord, and uh, I pray, we Lord, we thank you so much for your word, that your word is so rich with nuggets of truth, power, and promises, Lord, for each and every one of us, Lord. We're just called to just just look at the treasures that we have in your word, Lord, and to apply them to our lives, Lord, so we can be changed and transformed for your glory. I pray that this message, Lord, will bring you glory and honor uh, this morning, that you might use me to proclaim your word, that you anoint me through your spirit. I pray that hearts will be open to receive all you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever, and if some of you have been Christians for a long, long time, have you ever had moments in your life when you question God's love? No? I do. I do. I've questioned his love, and I've been a Christian a long, long time. But one thing I've learned when I question God's love or doubt his presence in me or whatever, I keep going back to the word. Keep going back to the word. And one thing that helped me, I'm not, I'm in a good place with the Lord right now because I also know that, that as a human being, I'm I'm also capable of being in a bad place with him because sometimes I sin. You know, you should not be surprised that but we are all sinners. Well, right, Rudy? No, no comments on that. You know, but one thing I've learned, I'm learning something very special. Uh, I've, I, I go through the, uh, I read the, the Bible through every year, and uh, I, I, just yeah, finished up the Old Testament. I finished up Matthew's gospel, now I'm in Mark's gospel. I'm really enjoy. I do it all God's word, but, but the Lord is speaking to me through Mark's gospel because it remind, he's reminding me that no matter you know, what I think or my attitude, whether I'm having difficulty with God or what, that as I read, I garner more truths of his word as I hear Jesus speaking, Jesus' ministry. And what that does, it draws me closer to him. So Satan wants us to draw away from God, but God's word draws us closer to him. So so I'm very happy about that. But I also know that that uh, our doubts and, and sometimes questioning God's love, that's very natural as a Christian. And uh, for if somebody says, well, I never have any doubts about God's love, I've never questioned his love or whatever, I'm just going to pause to say, hmm, then tell me what is your secret because... Because that certainly is the case for me, but it is difficult for our finite minds to wrap around the truth and expanse of God's love, grace and forgiveness. So this morning, I'm going to talk about how deep is God's love. And we're going to first look at God's love as personal, from Galatians 2:19 through21. Are you with me? Okay, that's good because I know you think about the picnic and all those other things, but just hang in there. It will come in time. All right, let's read from Galatians chapter uh, 2, verses 19 through 21. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. When we think of God's love, a common scripture comes to mind. John 3.16. There's probably people who say, well, even the, you know, the non-believer, they all heard John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, depending on your translation. That verse has become a part of our culture. Even though people will read that, that verse and won't have a slightest understanding, really, of what it actually means. I mean, we see this in... in uh, sporting events you know i don't see i haven't seen it so much anymore but always you know the camera flash would be john 316 up there but there's one dimension of this verse that is often missed i believe you know god does not only love the world in a general sense but he loves us personally now on that road to damascus Paul discovered that truth. He spent, up until then, he spent his life as a Pharisee trying to stamp out this new wave of religion called Christianity. He was a Pharisee. He was a man of the law, the Jewish law. And he cringed at these Christians. But now, when, when God, Christ met him on that road, it changed Paul dramatically. We know that story. Suddenly, Christ became real to him. You know, if there ever was a conversion, people, if people would ever doubt conversion, please read Paul's story. And it's a classic example of how Christ can change a life, can change a heart, just in a snap of the finger. He can do that. And that's why I love what he said again in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in, the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse makes it crystal clear. God's love is personal. By faith, make this personal. By faith. I, you, have been unified with Jesus Christ forever. By faith, Jesus lives in and through me, in and through you, forever. When Jesus Christ died, I died with him. When Jesus Christ rose, I rose with him. See, it's, we need to understand that that's the Christian life. The Christian life is knowing, is knowing that God personally loves us. And we can have this, this personal loving relationship between Christ and ourselves. You have to make it personal. Christianity is designed to be a personal walk with Christ. And that is so important. And those of you that know, you know, what, I, you know, you know what I'm saying, you understand that is the case. It's not general... It's personal. There's general revelation, and there's special revelation. Special revelation we find in the New Testament. That's Jesus Christ and loving him. Amen? Okay. See, we better make this, reduce this up a little bit. So I think, I think the law, you know, Paul being a Pharisee, understood the Jewish law, and he said that if the law the rituals and and the traditions were the only way to salvation, then Christ died what? For nothing. He said it's all about Christ. It's not about the law, though the law being important, but Christ, only Christ saves and not rituals, only Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's go on to uh, uh, number two, God's unconditional love from Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, just at the right time, when we we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, why we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, how Paul understood that. You know, he's talking to himself about himself. And also us. This is so... I know this is very... Uh, this is Christianity 101. But you know what? We need to always get back to Christianity 101. Because Satan can get in there... And he can just move us out of Christianity one on one. Amen? He does that to me constantly. I have been a born-again Christian for so many years. But he's, every day, he's trying to drive me away from my fundamental faith... Because that's what he does. I need to always be reminded of who Jesus is and why he died. You know, now that's for me. Maybe you're stronger than I am, but I need that every other. I need Jesus Christ in my life every every day, every minute of the day. Because I'm a sinner. We're gonna be talking about this. Oh, you know. You know, sometimes Christians think, well, I'm going to try to live. I had one pastor say, well, you can live the perfect uh, life on this side of heaven. I said, really? What Bible are you reading? No matter how strong I am in my faith, I'm never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Amen? And you aren't either. Guess what? So we're all in this together. Okay. So... Here we are, Paul and Romans. How many of you have a dog? A pet, okay. Okay, we have dogs, okay. What are the, one of the common things we can say about our animals, especially the dogs? You know, we got this dog, Becca knows that. Maybe it wasn't for you, Minnie wasn't for you, Becca, like she is for us. But our dogs, Minnie, that dog, we've had all these dogs through these years, most lovable dog we've ever had. I mean, when we walk in the door, it could be, we could be just taking a walk without the dog, which rarely anymore. We come back, it's like we've been gone for 10 years. You know, the dog is right there greeting us. And for this dog, it's, man, to shake, rattle, and roll. Her tails are gone, and her little bottom's going this way, that way with the tail, and she's all over us. You know, she's always eagerly waiting to give us acts of, of love. So no matter how tired or grouchy we are, no matter how bad the world has beat us up, your dog, your faithful companion is always there wagging the tail, saying you are the greatest person in the world. You know, that is unconditional love. I believe that's what I call unconditional love. Paul used strong words in describing our deficiencies. He said in verse 6, if you go back, powerless, ungodly. And then in verse 8, he used sinless or sinners. We don't have the capacity to achieve divine. We don't divine expectations on our own, but only by God's love and power demonstrated in the, in the, on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross for all of us ungodly, unworthy people. Are you humble? Are you humble? You know, if you reach a point in your Christianity where you think, well, that other person is really a bad person or my neighbor's a bad person, you know, and I got to shun them or stay away from them, got to look in the mirror because Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for that very person. Remember the story I'm reading in, and what parable of Jesus with, with, was with the tax collector? You know, people say, "Oh my goodness, he's hanging out with the lowest of the low." Why can that be? what did Jesus? How did he respond? I came for the lost, the unhealthy. I came for these people. And then, as we as we point our fingers at the lowly, remember, we got about three fingers pointing back at us. I think the more we grow in faith, the more we need to recognize our own imperfections and the the imperfections of others, that we're all in this together at different levels, different situations in life. But when God looks at us, when he looks at us, he doesn't simply look at status or how good we think we are. He sees us as people. He sees us as sinners. Amen? So, you know. Anyway, I thought that was pretty good. Remember, God's unconditional love is not based on who we are or what we have accomplished, but on who He is. This leads to verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I worked with so many churches that have, been, have looked for, been looking for pastors. You know, I've gone, I've been work, I've worked with them and putting together their own church profile and what they're looking for in a pastor, etc. And, and it's a wonderful thing when a church finally finds their pastor, their pastor. And that's when the honeymoon stage really starts. The pastor comes in, and he's like Superman. Oh, our pastor, you should hear him preach. He is better than Billy Graham and, and Kenneth Copeland and this pastor all wrapped up into one. He never makes a mistake. He speaks so, his words just flow out of his mouth. He's just so eloquent. You know, and when he speaks, we all listen and we take notes because he's never wrong. So we know, we know, we know that that he gives us the gospel hundred percent through and through and through, and whatever he, decision he makes, there has to be the right decision. That's the way it is the first year or two years. Now if people say to me, How long does it take for ministry to really begin? I tell people in any given church. Five to seven years. They say, well, why so long? Because if you're in a church of say, 100 people, you've got 100 different personalities. You're trying to get to know personalities. And they, in turn, are trying to get to know the pastor. How does that happen? Through meetings, conversation, etc. So as time moves on, the pastor congregation... Relationship begins to take form because they begin to know each other's quirks, their habits, and their flaws. You know, you could never serve on a church board and have your pastor way up here, and then you get in that board meeting and you realize, oh my goodness, some of the things he says or thinks. I'm shocked. That happens. That's true. Then all of a sudden, people's image or understanding of the pastor all of a sudden is deflated. I had a friend of mine, known for forty-eight years. And in fact, his wife just passed away. Our closest friends. I'm trying to help help Dennis out, and but I know him all these years. I get to know when to push, when not to push, when to encourage, when not to encourage. Why? Because he, he'll say this. I don't want you to know me on a regular basis because you then you will pick up and understand some of my flaws and that might make you think differently of me. That's the truth. By him who told that to me. I said, Dennis, you know, we all blow it. I can't, if I had a, a dollar for every mistake I made in ministry, a word I said I shouldn't have said or whatever, I could have retired a long time ago. It just happens. And we don't always agree on things. Amen? So sometimes our imperfections, our imperfections can bring an ending to a very promising relationship. I've talked about this. One of, the, one of the reasons why pastors leave a church is because of what I'm talking about. Suddenly people see that pastor through their eyes they don't, they don't like. And he does the same thing, or she. You know, they get discouraged. With They go, oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. You know, you know what does it, you know. If you could just kind of hotwire a pastor in his home, ooh, that could get very dicey really quick. Because people are human beings, do you ever see me? If I see you coming down the hall, try to dodge you. No. Well, 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 we, we all understand that because we all try to dodge you. But you know, and sometimes behind closed doors, I've ever passed it. Oh, well, I have so and so in the church. I see them coming. I go the other way. Because of I know what they're going to say or the criticism they're going to have. Doesn't it happen? That's life. That's life. That's being real in church. But the important thing is what we do with that. What we do with our imperfections. How much grace do we have, acceptance we have of other people? And now, if they're doing, uh, if a pastor preaching anti-Christian things, then, then kick them out. You know, so we have to beware. I want to make sure I want that's that is very clear because, you know, the Bible says that God knows everything about us—the good, bad, and the ugly—and here it comes, including our fantasies. Do you have fantasies? You don't have to answer that. I mean, say, well, yeah, I got a lot of fantasies or whatever. No, I'm not going to put you down on a spot. But we all have them, don't we? In some form or another, we fantasize. You know, I remember when I was just a little boy, I can still remember that, I fantasized I wanted to be Roy Rogers. You know, I wanted the golden Palomino. I wanted the fancy saddle with all the silver on it. You know, I wanted to be on, on top of that horse, and I can remember, you know, the Roy Rogers show, show and Roy's riding this trigger, and this horse, and the, and the mane is flowing as. his you know, toward him, and he's got his guns out, and he's shooting, who knows what, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can that big horse carry that big, big expensive saddle? I wanted to be Roy Rogers. I fantasized about that. Every show, I'm playing cowboys. And I was always Roy Rogers. In my own eyes, I was. Fantasy, good, Bad. Think of your fantasies that were really bad or are bad, and God loves you through them. He still loves you. It doesn't matter. He still loves you because that is his character. It is God's character to love the unlovable. It is God's character to love, as Paul said, the sinner. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. For me, that keeps me balanced. It really does, because if I get too harsh on someone, I think, who are you? Look in the mirror. You know? So God has a way of keeping us humble. Amen? And amen. All right. Number three. I know we want to, all excited about the, the picnic and everything. So... We're going to wrap this up by looking at uh, at you are God's delight. I want us to be there for a few minutes here because we need to understand that we are truly God's delight. Zephaniah three fourteen through seventeen. Now, as you read from Zephaniah, you're going to get a lot of things. They're leaving. Don't oh, the worship team. I'm sorry. I thought I said something wrong. Uh, so, so understand as we read from Zephaniah, you're going to get all sorts of things that are going to come out of Zephaniah. He's going to talk about God being there, you know, past, present, and future. There's There's a messianic prophecy here as well, and you'll read it as we go along. But the point is that it doesn't matter the age that you're living in. God is faithful, and God has the ability to make your life joyful. Amen and amen. Okay. Zephaniah... Three, fourteen 14 through 17. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment, has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. Then, verse 17 The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he would take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. These verses convey such joy. Zephaniah records that God, he records God's promises, his restoration his renewal, and also that he delights in us. That's just for starters. And then in in verse 14, Zephaniah uses four terms for joy. Can you pick them out? Sing, shout, be glad, and rejoice. The redeemed in all generations find victory in Christ. That's why it's past, present, and future. We find victory no matter where, when, when. In Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14. the, the, The middle part of verse 14. He says be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Fear and apprehension have been removed. Because of verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord the King. The Lord the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The presence of God overwhelms all the forces of evil. Again, it doesn't matter if it was 4,000 years ago, 2,000, 20 years ago, today in the future. That's God. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, we have no reason to be controlled by fear. Did you hear that, my brothers and sisters? We have no reason... To be controlled by fear. That doesn't, he's not saying that we won't fear. Of course we will. We fear things. But to be c- controlled by fear is not God's will for you or for me. Verse 17 The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will treat, he will take great delight in you, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. What uplifting words we have here. Listen, Christian, God is rejoicing over you. He's rejoicing over you. He not only loves you and likes you, but he appreciates you not only for who you are, but what you can become. That's our God. Now, what confidence that should give every believer knowing that Jesus Christ loves us personally unconditionally and delights in us. Our takeaway is this. Jesus perfect love flows from his heart into our hearts. Now, I want you to think think about that one. Jesus' love, perfect love flows from from the heart of the of the son into us, his people, the redeemed. What is our takeaway here with his truth? Well, when Satan, you know, Satan starts beating you up, slapping you around, making you feel unloved, guilty, inadequate, unworthy, fearful. Jesus Christ is right there in the face of the accuser. He's right there in his face. And he's shouting. Jesus is shouting and he is cheering us on. And he's saying to Satan, in essence, sis, boom, ba. I love all my children. Ha, ha, ha. That sounds corny, but it's true. It sounds corny, but it's true. He loves us so much. And yet sometimes Satan will get in there and try to rob us of that love, of the love of Christ. He loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. And you do it again and again and again. I think sometimes God just cries for his people. You know, our Lord did not have it easy. We know that. Why wouldn't they listen? Why didn't the Pharisees listen? He'd do miracle after miracle after miracle. They would try to trap him, and with his wisdom and truth, his teachings were spot on about the kingdom of God. But why? Why didn't they get it? Why don't people get it today? Some two thousand years later. If that bothers you, when you know a brother, a sister, an aunt, uncle, a friend, a relative, they're not getting Christ, and you get you get angry with that or get saddened by that. Can you imagine how Jesus feels over one soul that one person just will not come to Him? That's how much he loves us. Like I said before, Jesus is our greatest, biggest cheerleader, biggest fan. He loves us so much. If you needed to hear that today or be reminded of God's love, then let it soak in for you through his Holy Spirit. God loves each and every one of us. Flaws and all. I look out from one end to the other. All your faces, I love you, but you're flawed. You, all your faces are looking at me, your eyes, I'm flawed. But the good news for all of us is Jesus loves us. Amen? Words and Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you, Lord, that you do love us. Your love is unconditional. You love us personally. And you take delight in us. Oh, God, help us to feel that, knowing that, you know, even if my day's going bad or whatever the case might be, that you delight in me. You delight in us. And thank you, Lord, for your grace that surpasses all human understanding. And we give you praise. We give you praise and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.